Hello, hello. You're listening to Lovecast Podiatry, our weekly <laughs> podcast on all things Lovecraft Country. Ian, Uma and Bar here with you. And this week we will be dissecting episode three, Holy Ghost, which just dropped yesterday. It is a Letty episode. It is a classic haunted house episode. And once again, the series continues to subvert your expectations with what's going on. So like I'm taking notes as I'm watching this episode and in my notebook, I'm writing down what's happening and i'm like uh okay so Letty's bought this house and you know the white people in the neighborhood don't want any black folk around so they are the metaphor in this episode the true history that's more frightening than fiction they are representatives of the ghosts in this haunted house story but oh no wait there are actual fucking ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so everything in this episode is kind of centered around this manor house, which Letty has bought. And she's decided uh, to buy this abandoned house in an all-white neighborhood. On, this, on the north side of Chicago, yeah, right? Yeah, on the north side of Chicago. So, so she buys this broken down, old broken down manor house and she decides to have borders, right? Little does she know that there is some bad shit that has happened in this house and it is also inhabited by a whole bunch of ghosts. And I have to say, I found this episode to be genuinely creepy. I mean, it was kind of scary, right? Yeah, there were, I mean, there's, a, there's an element, I guess we'll skip around. Uh, there's an element I found to like, the frighteners on the effects this episode which is not a bad thing yeah, yeah. i'm just saying that like it's a look and it's a vibe and it makes me think of michael j fox and ghosts instead of being terribly scared but yeah. it did some interesting things with that so uh, what's the um, again skipping ahead what's the ghost's name which one the bad guy <laughs> hiram hiram epstein like when he takes yeah. over atticus and there's just that kind of repeated refrain of get the fuck out of my house bitch and his face is yeah. doing that weird thing yeah that's quite creepy. His face coming out of the photos was just like, you know, that was a fun kind of horror movie. It was like a fun yeah. haunted, yeah. haunted house scare. It wasn't like, oh, dear yeah. God, I'm not sleeping tonight. Yeah. It was like, ooh. This is, it, feels, it feels a lot like a Disney horror movie for kids, right? Even the, yeah, and I think even the, other than the fact that the actual ghosts were mutilated to points of nightmarish effects, yeah. um, you're right. The way it sort of the the way the ghosts are washed, I think you know the effect of it is feels a little Disney like. I don't know, man. Like the first ghost you see, um, Letty is in bed yes. and there's this face that is slowly just coming up on the side of the bed, and it was fucking creepy, dude. It wasn't at all Disney like. Yeah. Did you notice that the hand that was pulling the the her her blanket was just a hand? Oh yeah, it was just a disembodied yeah. hand. Yeah. It was a disembodied hand pulling it. I was, I think I, I sort of, because I rewatched it again with my wife. I'd watched it and then watched it again with my wife, and I was like, "Oh, hey, look! It's just a disembodied hand. It's just a hand." Yeah, yeah I thought it was quite cool. Someone wanted to give Lady a hand. Yes, literally did. Yay! It's also, I mean, they also introduced the first ghost in broad daylight. I love it when horror yes. shows do yeah. that. Yeah. So there's been a little bit of time that's lapsed between the end of the last episode and the beginning of this one i think uh maybe a month or two at least it's yes been, it's been three weeks since george's funeral which spoilers for you know again everyone all those people who were so in love with uncle george and were like i'm so worried for uncle george we're so sorry i'm so sorry yeah i was not expecting that i mm. i will say at the end of episode two i know they said in the at the end of episode two that he dies but i was like Maybe he'll come back. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, you know, it's only two episodes in. You can't get rid of him already. Um, but no, they did. Again, we don't know what happens next. And it does. It feels like it feels like we missed an episode. I thought when we were watching this on the screeners that it was like they were misnumbered because it does yes. feel like it jumps ahead. And I guess this is where the anthology feel of the series really kind of kicks yeah. in because it is we're moving along in time because this is the next spooky story to tell. So it's been a bit of time and everyone is still struggling to come to terms with what's happened. Atticus has kind of moved in with his aunt yeah. and niece and is trying his best to help around the house he's like cooking and cleaning washing the dishes and placing the cups the wrong mm. way up to dry annoying the hell out of her while he's yeah out. and letty's got this new house and borders which she uses as a distraction because it seems like none of them have actually spoken about everything that's happened to them in the last two episodes i mean they kind of try to move on without actually discussing the monsters and the deaths yeah. and the crazy white wizards and, and, and this episode begins with those title cards, right? That kind of tell you the story of what happened in this house, which, which was a great way to subvert your expectations of where the story is going. It's a nice bit of bait and switch, which I really like, because the first time you watch it, it's like in the summer of 1955, a group of Negro men and women moved into a house in North of Chicago. Ten days later, three people went missing inside the house, never to be seen again. And later, at a certain point, Atticus, Letty, and their witch doctor friend enter the house and you're like oh shit this is the end for our heroes like are they really going to embrace mm. the anthology format and no some white dudes got moited <laughs> it's so smart <laughs> yeah it's a brilliant bait and switch because it does like it does build tension you think oh could this be the end because they, they've already i mean they, it's a statement of intent offing lovable old uncle george like that right it's like um yeah. lost or whatever anyone can die can i ask a question you know that opening sequence uh which i guess is during george's funeral who is the narrator who do you guys think is the narrator because oh i don't know is that a poem it sounds like a poem yeah but that's what i thought as well but then when you watch it on hbo it says Letty. Yeah, it says Letty, but I was wondering if it's, there might be a poem, maybe she might be ma- named for some famous poem, I didn't have time to Google it. It sounds like a composed piece, I'm not saying that's again, that's that's totally, you know, outside the realm yeah. of this show, but it just, their use of contemporaneous yes. materials. Spoken would make, word, yeah. Spoken word, I didn't see the credits to see if they said use of it, but like. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice that either, yeah. I didn't, I didn't think it was George's funeral, I didn't get that, I just thought it was a main service and like Ruby, Ruby was mm. embracing her faith and, you know, she, she can't because she's literally dead inside. That's to say, so I meant I to say that earlier. They've already killed George and they've already killed Letty, technically. So, yeah. <laughs> I like this episode. I think I think watching it close together uh, with the first two episodes, which I did with my wife, it, it is really sort of... Jarring. Shifts gears, yeah. You know, because you're thinking... First episode, you're thinking road trip, road trip series. Second episode, you're thinking, well, okay, road trip series kind of coming to an end. Maybe they'll sort of travel back and there's an entire couple of episodes there. But no, they're, episode three, you're back in Chicago. The funeral's done. It's a month later or three weeks later and they've, are tr- they're trying to sort of move on, right? But they also just don't know how to move on or even talk about it. Like, yeah. there's this great line when Montrose and Atticus are trying to yes. talk about what happened and Montrose goes, what should we tell them? Should we tell them that white people have magic on their side too? Yeah. yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. It's really great. And it's a beautiful moment as well because it just shows the relationship between them is just like Atticus, he can't, he doesn't know how to um, collaborate or how to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, compromise. 
Like it's no, mm. no, this is it. And like he slams the desk and Atticus can, he can beat the living shit out of him basically at this point. Yeah. And even when he slams his desk, the both of them suddenly jump up and are in attack position. Yeah, it's time. Yeah. It's, it's go time. And it's like Atticus yeah. is the bigger man and taking it away. And it just, again, they're not talking about their relationship at all, but it's a beautiful moment that ex- totally expresses what their relationship is. Even, you know, the last episode with the, 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 the punch marks in the walls from where they, where they were fighting. Yeah. I re- that was a really powerful scene between the two of them, but it's and it and it leads it leads to stuff later with regards to like Atticus just can't. It's his way or the highway, basically, right? I like that line that you were quoting, Uma, only because that it really, it again goes back to what we've been talking over the last two episodes about how the African American experience of the time is so. It's so weighted against them, right? That argument that he says you 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 want us to tell. Uh, Hippolyta that they've got magic too it's, it's, it just feels like it's too much it's too much yeah there's, there's like can't, can't something just break their way and that almost hopelessness in Montrose voice is amazing yeah and speaking about the world being weighted against them it's 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 highlighted again in that incredible scene when letty kind of loses it and and finally takes a baseball bat to the cars outside and it's this amazingly choreographed scene where she's just like smashing up windows and headlights and 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 after that moment of catharsis all of them just kind of drop down on their knees with their hands behind their heads as they hear the cops approaching oh no it's it's a practiced it's a practice move, right? Uh, yeah, and it is. It's like even at the the moment it happens, Atticus straight away says, "Get the guns from the closet, Ruby. Get your keys." Yes. As, even before Letty has done anything, it's get that ready. Yes. The guys post up with their guns. She goes to town. Ruby gets the car, and they put the guns and everything in the car, and any and evidence. And she just John, drives away. And they're like, yeah. "It's again. What? Well, it's the Black Lives Matter chant. Hands up, don't shoot. They're literally ready to do that." And that's yeah. Ter- it's a it's a beautifully choreographed moment from a movie TV show perspective, but it's also just terrifying. But this is their this is their normal way, and it's something. This that is echoes. life. Yeah, this yeah. is how they. Yeah, it's it's something that echoes later as well when Letty and Atticus are talking about her house being haunted, which is a great kind of, you know, uh, manifestation of that meme. You know, astronaut comes back and he goes to his locker and it says, oh, "You're back early." It's like moon's haunted and clicks gun. What moon's haunted? <laughs> and then just goes off. You know, you ever seen that? <laughs> she just like instantly says, "House is haunted," and he's like, "All right, break it down for me." But yeah. what happens in that scene is she says that I thought the world was one way and found out it wasn't and it terrifies me. But I can't live in fear. I won't. I gotta face the new world head on and stake my claim in it. And that's essentially the role that the younger black people in this movie, the, uh, this show, are having with regards to the older uh, group like Montrose and those. Those have been beaten down by the world around them. You know, maybe when she's growing up or if you're only growing up within south of Chicago, you think the world is one way. And then you go to you go outside your town area and you realize it's a completely different way and like there's all these white races out there but you're still going to fight she's still going to stake her claim to it there's a lot more that happens in this episode as well like you've got a brief scene where diana and her friends are playing with a ouija board which is always just a bad idea yeah um and you know i don't know if there's anything more that's going to come of that scene in future episodes but i guess it was to highlight the fact that the house was actually genuinely haunted yeah and also the the ouija board spells her father's name right yeah george yeah, says, is dead george right? is dead yeah yeah when hippolyta is searching for the kids in the house uh she encounters a room and comes across this strange celestial orb sculpture in one of the rooms mm, it's an orrery but in the book she goes off on one of her own adventures oh really so in the oh. book there's a chapter in which hippolyta 
goes on this celestial adventure type thing. Oh. Because it's something they could, it's something they could come back to because they do do stuff like that later. But it's like, yeah, I think it's even earlier on, someone shouts down, does that locked room upstairs? Says, well, unlock it. And they can, oh, right? pick it. Yeah. And that's the room that opens to her, I'm guessing. Um, although, how, uh, yeah, how, they just kind of leave it with her in the episode. She just goes in there and looks at it, right? And twinkly music plays. There's nothing else happens. No, nothing yes. else happens. They just kind of leave yeah. it there, which is why I thought it's just like a kind of a foreshadowing to something that's going to come later. Yeah. Mm. I think the strongest bits of this episode for me were also the music selection throughout. And, mm. and this is something we've spoken about in episode one and two. And I was like, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but you know, if you if you leave your phone and Shazam on and you press and hold it, there's an auto Shazam feature and just picks up <laughs> all the music that's playing. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So like, so there's like Roy Brown, uh, Dorinda Clark Cole, Dinah Washington, um, Shirley Caesar, Nina Simone. Well, the Nina Simone track is the end credits track, which is kind of covered. It's covered by Alice Smith, which is also yeah. a great version of Cinnamon. But all of these songs and the way they're kind of interlaced throughout these songs feel more era appropriate i mean they're not using any marilyn manson in this episode yeah but all of it just works so well it kind of punctuates the point it wants to make there's this great bit when she's um when when letty's smashing the cars and you know just as she goes to smash one window the lyric of the song is yeah just like that and it just (laughs) there's this great mood it really puts you in the mood yeah (laughs) i mean everything like what you were saying last week ian uh Everything about this show makes other shows feel lazy. Yeah. It is so intricately planned and plotted and laid out. It's so good. I'm not sure if it's that moment, but there is just like when she, when she goes back to swing and it cuts to slow motion and the frills on her dress are all extended out as well. It just looks like it literally is every fame, frame a painting, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> when when Lady is talking to Atticus, I mean, there's a great scene in the in this in this diner like mm. place and lady is talking to Atticus and that's that's kind of this big moment when she talks about how she's never had sex before when they had sex earlier in the episode was the first time she also talks about how she's died she goes you know I died and honestly I since I've been back I felt like a ghost which has this Buffy kind of feel like season mm. six you know because mm. Buffy dies and comes back and she's disconnected from the rest of the gang because she's seen shit that no one else Oh, she's experienced shit that no one else has. There's no coming back, man. There's no coming back. There's a kind of post-death trauma syndrome, I guess, which kind of takes place after that, which I think is a fantastic way to have her at the center of bringing these ghosts together because she's been dead too. And I think that's Mm. really well thought out as well. Yeah. I mean, there's that, but there's also the fact that from early on, the fact that she repeatedly ignores Ruby's request for... Where'd you get the money, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like you're just like you would you want to just give her a shake? She's like, where'd you get the money? Oh, but look, there's an elevator. Where'd you get the money? And there's gonna be so many rooms upstairs. It's like, yeah, this is shady as AF. There is no way. So we, there is that. It's nice that they tie in it that way. But it's also I was thinking it was going to go like the full anthology route, but it loops back around with Christina at the end. That just, I guess Christina hid the money, made it look like an inheritance. Is that what happened? And then pointed this. Yeah, real estate agent in Letty's direction. In Letty's direction, I think. Yeah, because Letty says he was pretty shady, right? She said he was pretty shady about the history of the building. Now, do we know? Like, it's not really explained what Doctor Epstein was actually doing, right? Like, they said human experiments, and from the ghost, we see like he's cutting people's heads off and putting them on different bodies, etc. Oh no, I've got. I've got to. I've got to jump in there, my friend. Oh, you've got a theory. I I don't have a theory. I have a an answer. 
<laughs> so I was just looking it up, and in an interview, uh, in an interview with uh, Cinema Blend, Misha Green was talking about the ghosts, and so one of the things she said was that um, why is that guy got a baby head? Yeah, so so I'll get to that. Um, so so I quote, she says, you know, the idea of the ghost is really hearkening back to the Tuskegee experiments and the kind of medical things that have been done to people of color on American soil. Right. That is very interesting to us. Mm. So then talk, taking that to the next level, I was like, okay, well, what is then the mythology? What is Hiram the ghost testing? He's testing time machine. So if he sent people through this time machine, what would happen to them? Like, would part of their body change in time? So then their head is their baby self, but their body is their adult self. And so that, and so it's like you go down those things and then you get to baby-headed ghosts. Wait, but the, you, you just, that's a massive fucking spoiler for everything. Is it time machine? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't know what contact she's talking about here. But maybe yeah. she's just, maybe she's just throwing it out there. But I mean, is it, is, the, yeah. is, is the garden to eat, is the gateway to Eden a time machine in itself? From from the first from the last episode last episode last isn't episode. that just paradise? I mean, is it a time machine or is it just? I I I always assume that in their conception of Eden, it is something that always exists, and they're trying yes. to get into it. Yeah, but, but it could also be that you know God smote it from the earth after Adam and Eve after he turfed out Adam and Eve, maybe as well. I mean, there is that element to it. You know, he just stopped oh, yeah. watering the garden and it became a desert or something. I can't remember. I'm not up with the Bible, but that does. I mean, I was I, I thought I was just was thinking experiments. It's just it's white guys, it's rich white guys. It's got to be immortality in general. That's generally what they're up to, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, it's a, apparently it's a time machine. He's working on a I don't know. I mean, look again. It's a it's a it, maybe it's just what Hiram was working on, not mm. necessarily what the rest of the Brotherhood were. Oh, probably on. not. But I'm sure it'll tie in later because there is something about. There is something about um, the conversation they have. Like, in the very first opening minutes of the first episode, you know, um, in Atticus's Dream, you have a Jackie Robinson character, you know, swinging with a baseball yes. bat saying, I got you, kid, right? Yeah. And they bring up that story here again where it was some unknown man with a baseball bat who saved uh, Montrose and George back in the day. Correct. Yep. Atticus keeps having a baseball bat in his hand in this episode. Yes. When they're at mm. the house, he's like quite frequently, he just automatically grabs. I mean, they have one in the umbrella stand at the doorway, I think it is. And he just grabs it and Letty grabs it later. So there is that. But now that you mentioned time travel, could he be that masked <laughs> man? <laughs> which which no. also, which also, just because we've recently seen Tenet and Bill and Ted. I was going to say Father Ted. That's wrong. Um, that's a wrong Ted. <laughs> Bill and Father Ted would be a very different movie. Um, because time travels on my mind or whatever, there's a moment yeah. of this that feels so deliberate, which also plays off another beautiful character moment, which is Hippolyta buying books of copies of Dracula so she can tear them up. That's her way of working through her frustration. Like it's a, another beautiful character moment that like you think was like, well, why is she doing that? But it makes perfect sense for someone who has no outrage, out, vent for their out, the rage, right? Yeah, yeah. But when she's found out, when when she's when it's found out that she's doing something with the books anyway by Montrose. Um, she confides to him that she's not. She can't. She knows Atticus is hiding something. She knows something more happened with George's death. She doesn't want to ask, but she wants to know more. And Montrose doesn't want to tell her. But the music does a weird. There's no other way of saying it. A weird tenity thing, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. 
No, and, no, I noticed that as well, yeah. It's a weird, there's something goes past outside the window and it's like the weird thing happens in such a, in such a, I mean. A precise way. It, right? it, it's such yeah. a deliberate way, yeah. It's a deliberate move. And now you've mentioned time travel. I'm wondering if like the last back half of the episodes are Back to the Future <laughs> 2 with Atticus and Letty running around through stuff, setting things up for themselves. But also Atticus has always seemed to want to set himself up as the guy with the bat, right? Because yeah. in the beginning, in the first episode, he talks about how he wants to be that hero or he loves the stories about those heroes. Uh, even in this mm. one, he's about to leave. Uh, and then when the white people put the bricks on their cars with the horns, um, he goes, okay, maybe I'll stick around a little longer. And yeah. he's already setting himself up to be that kind of protector. And yeah. so it makes sense that he's walking around the house with the bat all the time. Oh, actually, just to go back to what you were saying, uh, Bahir, like, so for those of you who don't know, if you Google Tuskegee syphilis study, you will get yeah. all the information you need um, on how, I guess, American medical research exploited um, African-American patients in the rural South uh, yeah. by giving them diseases in an attempt to find a cure. It was absolutely just yet another one of the most appalling moments in American history. Mm -hmm. uh, was it explained at the end of the last episode, because I didn't rewatch it, at any point what happened to Christina because she shows up again? Like, do we see her leave, escape the crumbling house at any point? She wasn't allowed into the... Into the actual... Ceremony. The paradise ceremony. I looked back. It was all white light coming from Atticus and the corruption starts at the yes, ring. Yes, from the, the ring. ring. Yes. Okay. The black kind of crawls out of the ring. So she's up to something. So I'm, I'm sure mm. she, I mean, she's still around. We see her at the end of this episode and there's that nice, she has a spell on her where you can't, you can't hurt her. But I think it, it's the same as her dad, right? So it's like no one can physics, yes. no one can plan to hurt her. But if a house falls on them, then. Correct. So be it. I mean, and, and she kind of explains that, right? She said, um, my dad's kind of reasoning for immortality was that if no one can actually hurt you, then you could live forever. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that was essentially his misconception because, yeah, he didn't no, but also, account for a house says, falling on his head. But she says that he had to, he had to turn off the, the spell. Oh, for... To do the thing. To yeah. do the thing. To do the yeah. things, yeah. And based upon the ring that she gave Atticus being the cause of that kind of screw-up, by the looks of things, the screw-up of the ceremony... That mm. was an intentional act, so therefore maybe that would have, you know, the maybe she was already out. Would have, yeah. the invulnerability would have um, protected him from that, maybe. But yeah, yet again, another great line at the end of the episode when she goes, when she starts explaining stuff to Atticus, and he's like, "I'm not here for a history lesson," yeah, <laughs> which is which is absolutely fantastic. But then that whole moment kind of sets up. I guess we've got a new player in the game, so it kind mm. of sets up um, her role a little bit more as to what's going on. Yeah, there's also, I mean, the fact that it's the wind, they refer to it as the Winthrop house and like the cops are in on it. That, that cop in the van is like, he knows a lot more than the cop you would expect. Like just the questions he was asking throughout that scene was just, has anything happened yet? Do you know wh wh who, who sold you the yeah. house? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know about the eight bodies? And yeah, it was like the, everyone seems to be in on it on some mm. level. Um, I actually Googled, I couldn't remember the word, so I Googled it. Um, it's called elevophobia. Oh, the fear of elevators. The irrational fear of elevators. In this, well, in this, in this episode, case, it's entirely not irrational. irrational. Yeah. Jesus. Not irrational at all. Every yeah. time someone looks up the lift shaft, you're like, no. And apparently a lot of people do it. That shot pulls back and there are so many corpses downstairs. Oh, but mate, the way the last scene subverts that expectation. Yeah. About the elevator coming up from below and decapitating him. 
Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, I don't know if I needed that close up of that headless body sort of just pumping blood just out of the spewing blood? neck yeah. hole. Yeah, out of that neck hole. Yeah. It's only when we've probably seen the in- entire series will be able to tie episodes to particular like horror genres or trends. Mm. But like that kind of stuff, the basement with the kind of the door at the top of it, like that's all very Evil Dead style. Mm. The photos, putting the photos together is basically the omen, right? There's like the omen. Oh, you get the fo- yeah. you get the slash where you're going to get injured. Um, Her spatial awareness is fucking amazing. Like just to look yeah. at all those photos. And yeah. Go, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was well, great. I mean, there's, yeah. A giant, there's a giant glowy line, like a line slot A with tab B, you know? I mean, it's... <laughs> It's it's right that when there's a giant glowy line on your photos, you're gonna line them up, obviously. Um, Evil Dead there was that there's the Omen and um, something else as well. I mean, oh, there was a little bit of um, Poltergeist as well with like don't break the circle and having was I think it was in, was it Madame Oyo? Is that her name? Yeah, Mama Oya, who's the the kind of the the witch doctor, the witch doctor lady. Yeah, and it's like don't break the never break the circle, dipshits. Like the yeah. even if the sprinklers are on, you're getting a little wet, but it's better than eternal damnation. But that was but that was also just such a clever scene, right? When the sprinklers come down to wash the blood away, and uh, it's just like at first I was like, why sprinkler? Oh, I see what's going on. Oh, I didn't get that. I didn't get that until you just said it. I didn't realize that the protective oh. seal on their head, right? Yeah, and then the and then the ghost could kind of attack them, right? But also says, they broke the circle. And they, they broke go the at that point to go. Oh, I've got water in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was also looking it up. Apparently, uh, the voice you hear in George's funeral scene is that of the artist Precious Angel Ramirez, and her narration was written in tribute to uh, Leomi Maldonado, which oh. is the Vogue dancing legend and choreographer for the TV series Pose. So, okay. so was that pre-existing before the show? And it apparently originally appeared on the soundtrack to a 2017 Nike ad. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, just just so many layers. There really needs to be a kind of listening guide as well as a viewing guide because there's there's so much stuff. You need a compendium for this. Yeah, yeah, there's so much stuff that happens in the background that kind of adds to it. But what I like is you don't even have to know it. Like, Mm. yeah, sure, you can Google and research and find out that stuff. But the layering is so solid that it has an impact, even though I don't know the reason why it's being impactful to me. Because it's just, it's not, it's not the... And an awful lot of TV shows will have the illusion of death. This depth. This is actual depth. Yes. yes. Like it's drawing from things in a respectful, interesting way and putting them together in new and interesting shapes. And that's great. That's that's what that's a great that's great art. Yeah. So what so as we get to the end of this, so there's what? There's a couple there's two pages of the Book of Adam. The Book of Adam and the Book of Names and the Book of They're all the same, right? Is it? It's two different books, I think. So Hiram took two he had some pages he stole, right? Yeah, he's got... They're looking for two pages from, mm. the, from the book that Hiram stole. That's what Christina's looking for. Right. So that, but he stole those pages from the Book of Names. It's the language of Adam, is it? Because the, the actual book that she might have wanted is now burned with the rest of them in the ceremony thing, I presume. Because otherwise she wouldn't need them to get these pages. And there we have our, and there we have our arc plot. Well, we think. It might get solved in the next episode. Who knows? <laughs> um, oh, oh, oh. One thing I wanted to um, recommend, actually. Uh, just a, It's kind of like an adjacent thing. Um, I'm listening to this podcast, which is called Unfinished, colon, Deep South. And essentially, okay. it is a podcast that is about 
resolving the unfinished business of a small Arkansas town by starting with the question of who lynched Isidore Banks. And it is just a brilliant kind of true crime type murder oh. mystery podcast. But the historical context which is provided, because I was listening to this podcast before Lovecraft Country, and mm. it gives me a lot of insight as to what is being spoken about in Lovecraft Country. So there's a lot of interesting historical insight into that. And I think I think it's a series that's just going to look into these periods, you know, 60 years ago in American history. So, right. Yeah, so Unfinished Deep South, which is which is kind of cool. I mean, if you're not into... I mean, there's lots of books you can read and stuff, but that's a lot longer and more of a mm. tedious process. But if you want something with a really fascinating <laughs> true crime books. story... And then, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, true crime story, uh, with which, which will you know kind of give you an idea of what justice looked like back then. Uh, mm. It does add a lot of context to what happens in Lovecraft Country because obviously they don't. Ex- there's no exposition in the show. They don't mm. explain anything that's going yeah. on. You're meant to kind of know or feel what yeah. these people yeah. are going through, right? Um, oh, oh, one, one last thing which we forgot to mention. Don't you love how throughout this episode? Um, all of the neighbors and white people, you kind of glimpse through like curtains. Yeah. Like you mm. see their hands and stuff and it's just like, they don't want to, they don't want to, like, they're, they're too, pro- they're almost too proper to engage. So they leave yeah. it up to the thugs. Yeah. Mm. Right. I, I, I was going to say like the casting of those thugs is like, I wonder if those guys are ever going to work again. You know, people get confused <laughs> between the character and the actor and like, you do want to punch all of them squarely in the jaw. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. They have that look. Every every white racist has got that smug racist look on their yeah. face. It's just like, I, yeah. <laughs> I hope you go look. Hey, dude, come look at my elevator. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking like, I mean, I guess, yeah, sure. You don't want, you know, if you're, you don't, you know, there, there was that one shot where someone goes, you know, Desi- undesirables leave our town or whatever like a um, like a like a, they kind of placard like a right? lawn sign yeah. yeah but at the same time it says, it like, says trump 2020 on the back <laughs> yeah but at the same time i'm thinking to myself like don't they mind this honking that's going on 24 hours oh a day? that's that's exactly what i was thinking i'm like are the yeah. rest of the neighbors not suffering with yeah. the horns just blaring I mean, away like, at some point you just go let the black people stay because that honking is just driving me mental no, because they can't hear the honking over the sound of their own racism. <laughs> that's true. That's 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 fair. Valid yeah. valid point. Yeah, yeah. Also, those them, those, those honkies got double glazing. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Yeah. I like I like this episode a lot. I like Murder House a lot. The the the, the get the fuck out of my house line is just so very impactful at the end, which just, was yeah, yeah, just the way he's stamping his feet and everything like that, like the physical yeah. embodiment of that and whatever the fuck's going on with his face. It's creepy yeah. as hell. Yeah, I think there's also that that it was that it's the subver- slight subversion of the horror story thing, right? Because when you first, when we the audience first encounter the ghosts, we see the African American ghost, right? Yeah. But then we realize that actually it's the white doctor who owned the place who's saying, "Get the fuck out of my house." It's not. It's it's not the dead African Americans who are chasing these people out. It's yeah. the white guy. Yeah. I like that idea. Atticus says, like, you know, Uncle George would reference a haunted house story right now. And even he thinks it's like these restless souls are trapped in the house. With their, they, yeah. They're going to, they're not going to rest until you join them, which yeah. is not the case at all. They're just trying to warn you to get the fuck out and you ain't listening. So 
we wrap the episode knowing that Christina is after something too. She's after these pages. We learn that she too has the power of invulnerability and cannot be harmed. Um, and I guess now all that's left is to find out whether she's going to hang around and you know what role she has to play in the bigger picture. Uh, we also need to know what's going on with um, with Hippolyta and um, you know the celestial contraption, yeah, which is luring her in, yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I don't know if I don't know if Diana and the kids have a kind of bigger role to play in this. Mm. I I think Diana does. I think there's no. I mean, it feels like she's such she's set up for such a not necessarily pivotal role, but like a good storytelling role yeah. with the comics and the the the, the stories that she's telling. Well, maybe she comes back. And again, this episode, they everyone keeps talking about helping her with her swing. So at some point, she's got to crack yeah. some heads, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are, we, very, are, we, are we just going to get the ending of one of the episodes? It's just a homage to Signs, where it's like swing. Uh, very little of Montrose, though, in this episode. So um, I guess we need to find out more about his story as well, because you know he got kidnapped and rescued and all of that stuff, and we haven't heard, we haven't had much kind of resolution or reflection on his part i mean he was having that mm. bad dream when atticus throws water in his face but that's about it yeah another fantastic episode from lovecraft country um i think we're definitely you know we're definitely here for the long run as you can tell by how much we've gushed over the last three episodes talk to us about uh what has you so hooked and uh, drop us a line on any one of our social media feeds that's goggler my you can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or um, check out our webpage, goggler.my. Um, you've been listening to Lovecast Podiatry on Goggler. Uh, Ian, Umar, and Bahir signing out. <laughs>